This is Certified, the OCS Prep Podcast. I'm Alexis. And I'm Amanda. And we're here to help you prepare for your OCS exam. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to remind you that Amanda and I have created a Patreon page for the podcast this year. If you become a Patreon member, you can gain early access to episodes without ads, access to bonus episodes, a monthly newsletter with study tips, and more. You can join by visiting www.patreon.com slash certified OCS prep podcast. Also, if you're using MedBridge to study, you can get $175 off your yearly membership by using our affiliate code certified. If you have any questions about MedBridge or Patreon, you can email us at certifiedocspodcast at gmail.com. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about a newer published CPG. Um, This was published in May of 2020 in the Journal of Physical Therapy, so not necessarily the orthopedic section. And it's one about the management of total knee arthroplasties. So this is going to include studies from 1995 to 2018, so a wide range of research. Some of that 1995 literature, I think, talks about like patient education and stuff, so it's still valuable information. The information included in this CPG is intended for the management of patients who undergo a primary total knee arthroplasty. The recommendations that we're going to go over today are not necessarily applicable to cases of revision, complex cases, partial replacements, any pediatric patients who've had a joint replacement, and those with rheumatoid arthritis. The recommendations are also not intended to address um, cases of non-operative management. So fairly specific, but that's not to say that some of these principles can't be applied to other populations. The average hospital stay following a total knee arthroplasty has decreased from 8.9 days, so almost nine days, to our current national average, which is 3.4 days. This CPG is in print. Like I said, it was published in May of 2020 in the Journal of Physical Therapy. Table one in that CPG has a summary, like a summary of recommendations that we're going to go over. So that kind of breaks it down into one chart. And then it's Um, divided up into more detail. So you can take a look at that there if you just need to review the summary. I do want to take one second to review the strength of recommendations for this CPG specifically, because the format is a little bit different than the other CPGs that are published by the ortho section. So those of you that have started studying um, and read some of those CPGs in print, I think you'll recognize the format is pretty consistent across all of them. This one's not necessarily that way. They use a diamond pattern, like a diamond ranking system um, for like shading them. So the more shaded diamonds, the stronger the recommendation. So if you see a recommendation with um, all the diamonds shaded, that's going to be a strong recommendation, meaning that there's a high level of certainty of moderate to substantial benefit, harm, or cost based on level one or level two evidence with at least one level one study. So a level one study would be like a meta-analysis. This category is also going to indicate that further research is not likely to change the outcome of the combined evidence. So three shaded diamonds or moderate level of evidence means there's a high level of certainty of slight to moderate benefit, harm, or cost based on level two evidence or a single high quality randomized control trial. In this category, further evidence is not likely to change the outcomes um, of the combined evidence, but it may impact the magnitude of the outcome. So the recommendation could be stronger or weaker. 
With two diamonds, that's going to be weak evidence. That's a moderate level of certainty of slight benefit, harm, or cost based on you know, expert opinion, case studies, that type of evidence. There's some but not enough evidence to be confident that the true outcomes of the study and that, if, and that future research may change the direction of the outcome or the recommendation. One diamond is going to be kind of theoretical or foundational. That's going to be evidence from animal or cadaver studies, conceptual or theoretical models or principles, and it's going to be um, published based on expert opinion. The, um, there's another category if you see one shaded diamond in this CPG that indicates best practice. So this is just what the developers of the CPG kind of pulled together based on their expert opinions that they recommend is best practice based on current clinical practice norms. So what we would consider like a standard of care type of recommendation. Um, there's not a clear benefit, cost, or harm based on validating studies. So now we're going to go through the list of recommendations within this CPG. The first one that they discuss is a preoperative exercise program. This is based on moderate evidence. There's, the recommendation is in favor of a preoperative program to implement strengthening and flexibility exercises. The length of inpatient stay was reduced. The stair test improved in one, at one and three months post-surgery. The tug test was improved at one and three months post-surgery. Knee flexion range of motion was improved at three months. Knee extension range of motion was improved at both one month and three months. Quad strength was improved at both one month and three months. And they suggest that future research in this area should explore the specific types of exercise, the frequency of a preoperative program, the duration of a preoperative program, and any specific parameters that a preoperative program should include. The next one is a preoperative education program, which I found a little bit interesting because I think a lot of um, at least hospital systems that I'm familiar with like mandate a preoperative education program for their patients, whether that's done by a PT, PTA, sometimes it's nursing, sometimes it just depends who's available. But this is only um, based on best practice evidence, one diamond. So there's not a lot of research here. There's limited evidence. But the authors in the development group of the CPG feel as though there's no harm in a preoperative education program. So there's no research to really suggest that this is a must, but it's certainly not going to hurt. The authors do suggest that the closer the match between the information provided and the patient expectations, the better their post-operative satisfaction is. So that's also to note that the post-operative education is important in fully fulfilling their expectations and their knowledge gaps. The continuous passive motion devices. Um, this is moderate evidence, so three diamonds. And actually the recommendation is that Physical therapists should not use continuous passive motion machines for patients who have undergone a primary, uncomplicated um, total knee. The outcomes and function and length of a hospital stay were not significant. The use of a CPM may prolong bed rest, and use is inconvenient and, and an unnecessary expense. So it should really only be used by docu like if there's documented complications. Um, seen a total knee on it after they've used a CPM? I don't know, Alexis, do you have any experience with total knees using CPMs? Anyone that you've worked with? Um, I'm trying to remember if it was, I feel like during some of my clinicals, even like back when I was in PT school, there was like one specific doctor who put his patients on CPMs, but no one else did during my acute care rotation. Um, but I don't, I've had some who like, they liked it, but I, 
I cannot not say that I've ever been like, oh, that patient definitely had a CPM or that someone has told me they had one and I thought they were doing exceptionally better than other patients who I know didn't have them. Right. I think the only time I've ever really heard of them being used is in the acute care setting. I think like when Uh patients get home with them, like in the past from, you know, just talking to colleagues and stuff, the compliance of them is not very good because you have to be in it for a long time for it to really make a lot of benefits. So, and they're really bulky and they're hard to move around. Um, Right. I I don't know that a patient can very easily get themselves set up and then for family to move it around and get them like, it's just, I, I know when I saw them in the hospital, it was mostly like myself or the nursing staff that was setting them up on it. It wasn't, you know, family. So yeah, I don't know that very many people really take them home. Right. So just keep in mind that now based on the CPG, the recommendation is to actually not use them. The next recommendation is the use of cryotherapy. This has moderate evidence or the three shaded diamonds on that system that they implemented, but physical therapists should teach and encourage the use of cryotherapy for early post-operative pain management. And um, there's no st- statistically significant difference between standard cold packs and those cryotherapy devices. So like the ice pumping machines and stuff, which, you know, it's just helpful information. I feel like patients are always asking me like, Oh, do I need to buy one of those? Or, Oh, my surgeon or my hospital didn't give me that, but you know, my neighbor had one, you know, it's up to them. It doesn't, there's not going to, it's not going to make a difference. So just be aware of that. The next recommendation we're going to go over is physical activity. So this is based on best practice evidence and the authors or the development group of the CPG recommend that best practice of routine physical activity should include moderate to vigorous aerobic and muscle strengthening exercises, um, basically outlined by like health and human services, like physical activity guidelines that we're all familiar with. Appropriate progression should be based on safety, functional tolerance, and physiological response. Activities should include weight-bearing exercises for bone health, balance activities, and flexibility activities. Research um, indicated improved gait function, improved walking distance, improved balance, and health-related quality of life. So obviously, I don't think that's shocking to any of us that physical activity improves all of those things. One study of physical activity one year following a total knee arthroplasty reported that 42% of participants did not meet the recommendations for levels of physical activity. So additional research in this area is required to outline the specific like regimens or recommendations regarding frequency, duration, um, and progression that we should be providing to our patients so that they can become physically active. You know, after the goal of having a total knee for most people is that they become more active and they can get back to doing the things they like to do, whether that be for weight management or cardiovascular health or whatever the case may be. In most cases, their knees become a limiting factor to those activities. But then to know that 42% of patients who have a total knee one year after are not meeting those recommendations, those basic guidelines is a little concerning, you know, and that's where we really help bridge. Okay. You're done with PT. This is what you need to do to maximize your level of function. The next category we're going to discuss is motor function training. So this includes like balance, walking, movement, symmetry. There's strong evidence for this category. Physical therapists should include motor function training for patients who have undergone a total knee Studies that included balance training found that balance interventions improved walking function as measured by gait speed, stair climbing, and the tug test at 32 weeks and the six-minute walk test nine months after training. So the key there is that these changes can be long-lasting. You're talking many, many months. 
Future research is needed on this area to determine if an improved movement symmetry reduces the long-term or future treatments on the surgical and non-surgical limbs and whether improving balance after a total knee results in reduced falls and longer-term mortality rates. So I thought that was interesting. You know, I can't say that's something I've always thought a ton about, but there's some thought that if we can make these people move with you know, move in more symmetrical movement patterns and really help normalize their gait as best we can, you know, can that put off any other treatment they have? You know, we all have that patient where it's like they have two bad knees, but this is the worst of the two knees. And then they're trying to rehab, but the other one's bothering them and that whole series of events that comes with that. So just something to keep in mind, but a single post-operative movement training program cannot be recommended exercises should promote that balance and symmetry. So sometimes I think that's just where a lot of patient education comes in. Yes, we need to give exercises to facilitate that, but sometimes just pointing out to patients their asymmetries and how they're moving and having them in front of a mirror, they need to be working on that all the time when they're in your clinic and when they're not in your clinic. And if they don't, they aren't even aware that that's how they're moving, it's going to be really hard for them to correct it. The next category in the CPG is post-operative knee range of motion exercises evidence there's really not any new research on whether or not we should be should be doing range of motion exercises obviously we should those are considered standard of care there's no recent studies like i said because we don't have patients who get no range of motion and patients who do that's just not ethical um so i don't think that's anything surprising it should include passive active assistive and active depending on the stage of healing and just keeping in mind the level of tissue irritability the immediate post-operative Knee flexion during rest for blood loss and swelling was a category in the CPG I can't say I was terribly familiar with. I don't do a lot of acute care total joints. I do more of the, you know, four to six week out in the outpatient setting. But this had weak evidence. And there's some thought that to reduce the immediate postoperative blood loss and swelling in the first seven days after surgeries, PTs may teach patients to position, position the knee in 30 to 90 degrees of, 90 degrees of flexion. This positioning can contribute to significantly less total blood loss, less hidden blood loss, and a decreased requirement for blood transfusion, all which may facilitate earlier rehab. No significant difference was found in active range of motion measurements at six weeks, but there is always a risk of developing limited extension. So I thought that was interesting. Like I said, it wasn't an area I was super familiar about just because I work more on outpatient. Um, but just keep in mind that if you're seeing these patients acutely, that sometimes that positioning may be a good thing. You know, having them stay out in full extension maybe may not be always the best. The next um, area of treatment that they touch on in the CPG is neuromuscular electrical stimulation. There's moderate evidence for this, but essentially the authors recommend use of neuromuscular electrical stimulation to improve quad strength, gait performance, and patient-reported performance-based outcomes. So patients essentially feel like they do better, probably because their quad is stronger and they feel like they can have better functional movements. Research suggests um, neuromuscular electrical stim can improve quad and hamstring muscle maximum voluntary contractions anywhere from two to 52 weeks after a total knee, suggesting that there's good long-term carryover with that. So, you know, it's good to know that if you're going to use it, it does have good carryover as long as you're doing follow-up strengthening exercises with it. It's best utilized in patients with quad activation deficits as evidenced by an extensor leg. And there's a recommended use for a minimum of three weeks. So if you're going to do it, you need to commit really for three weeks to get that long-term carryover. The next category is resistance and intensity of strengthening exercises. 
This is moderate evidence. They recommend high-intensity strengthening and exercise programs in the early post-acute period, meaning within seven days after surgery, to facilitate strength, range of motion, and functional improvements. Studies are focused on land-based therapies for an average of eight an eight-week timeline, and that's likely because the incisions fresh, they aren't appropriate for aquatics. There's no increase in adverse events noted with higher intensity training compared to lower intensity training in the acute phase. And we should consider increasing the intensity intensity to avoid underdosing and maximizing the patient's benefits. So I think the point that they're trying to make here is that, you know, higher intensity isn't dangerous and the patient may have more benefit. Most times we're probably guilty of underdosing them in that acute phase. The benefits of higher intensity strengthening and resistance training include improved muscle strength, improved functional mobility, improved knee extension range of motion, and improved balance. Again, the specific parameters regarding a set of exercises is not recommended. However, um, some studies, you know, kind of collectively put guidelines together that suggest progressive resistance training for six to eight weeks, three times a week. The intensity should also be progressive. So, you know, six to eight weeks, three times a week, that's a pretty standard strengthening program. The next area that they touch on in the CPG is what they title prognostic factors. So that deals with BMI, depression, their preoperative range of motion or physical state, their physical function, strength, age, um, diabetes or comorbidities. And essentially higher BMI and depression are correlated to an increase in postoperative complications and worse outcomes. Preoperative range of motion is associated with postoperative range of motion, but has minimal effect on the physical function and quality of life. Preoperative physical function and strength are associated with postoperative physical function. Diabetes is not directly associated with worse functional outcomes. And a greater degree of comorbidity is associated with worse patient-reported outcomes. So again, nothing surprising there. I think that's information that's probably, you know, relatively old news to most of us. Um, Post-operative physical therapy supervision. There's moderate evidence in this category, and they suggest that supervised physical therapy will likely produce better outcomes than approaches or programs with less supervision. So they kind of touch on like the, um, which we'll talk about here in a minute, the group versus individual based and how much supervision that has. More supervision is obviously going to allow for more appropriate and safe exercise progression, which in turn should result in um, faster recovery of function. So then the group versus individual-based therapies in and of itself has weak evidence and that they suggest individualized physical therapy management after a total knee is probably better because it's going to allow for a more tailored plan of care based on that patient's needs. Um, However, group therapy is going to cost less. So I think the um, point that they make here is that group therapy may not provide an adequate progression for more advanced patients and may be difficult for more involved patients to engage in the sessions. They sometimes would feel lost or left behind. So it's important that, you know, if we're doing group therapy for these folks that we're really kind of grouping them based on their physical function level so that everybody feels like they're gaining. And then the physical therapy post-operative timing, this is nothing that's surprising, but there's moderate evidence to suggest that PT management should begin within 24 hours of surgery, which I think is pretty much a standard of care at most hospitals now. So that kind of goes over the um, knee management, management of um, total knee arthroplasty CPG. I think it's a pretty straightforward one, but some helpful tips, just stuff to keep in mind as you're studying.
Of course, if you have any questions, you can always email us at certifiedocspodcast at gmail. Mm-hmm.